Hello, everyone. Jody Heiss here with you. Welcome to another edition of the Freedom Caucus podcast. An honor to have you with us today. And I am really, really excited about the program. Here joining me in just a moment is going to be Molly Hemingway. Uh, Molly is right in the trenches of so many of the big, big fights that are happening here in Washington, D.C. As many of you know, she is the senior editor of The Federalist, which, by the way, I strongly recommend you checking that out if you're not already familiar with their work. Uh, She and her colleagues like Sean Davis are folks that I regularly follow and would encourage you to do the same. But Molly is a contributor on Fox News. Uh, Her work often appears in places like the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, National Review, and a host of others. She is also a senior journalism fellow at Hillsdale College. And really, Molly has the inside scoop, literally, on some of the biggest stories of our time, whether we're talking the, the latest on Adam Schiff's impeachment circus or whether we're dealing with some of the dishonest practices of the left-wing media or exposing the different aspects of the Russian collusion hoax. I mean, you name it. Molly is right in the middle of it all. And, you know, it feels today like major news is breaking every few moments uh, on this impeachment inquiry. And so I absolutely cannot wait to bring Molly on and let's get the latest. Well, Molly, thank you so much for joining us. We are thrilled to have you on the Freedom Caucus podcast. Great to be here with you. Well, listen, you have uh, closely tracked so much of this impeachment narrative that's taking place. Uh, and, of course, myself being a part of it, it's, this is one of the most frustrating things ever. But can you, from your perspective, what's the big picture here? What are the Democrats trying to accomplish? I think it's important to not just view what's happening today or this week but looking at what's been happening for the past several years. And what happened when Donald Trump was elected, and it was a surprise to a lot of people, was the formation of a resistance. You had riots in certain cities. You had attempts to blame the election on supposed fake news. You had the development of the Russia narrative. You had the Electoral College attempts to overtake the Electoral College. You had the release of the Russia dossier. And you had all of these things happening before he was even inaugurated. And then from the moment he was inaugurated, you had the Washington Post saying that the campaign to impeach had already begun. Mostly the efforts to impeach, I think, were run through the Russia probe, thinking that that would be a really excellent way to get rid of him. The problem being that the Mueller probe ended without a single American having been found to have been a traitor who colluded with Russia to steal the election. Not less anyone ties to Trump's campaign or Trump administration. So they moved it to an instruction thing where they were going to say that Donald Trump being upset about being called a traitor uh, meant that he had obstructed justice. Well, that didn't fly so well after Robert Mueller testified before Congress and people realized he had basically no understanding of the probe that bore his name and that looked like it wasn't going to go anywhere. So only after all that, and after a few other things like and to remove him through the 25th Amendment or other things like that to finally land on Ukraine. And I think a big reason why people aren't taking it seriously, meaning they're not finding these arguments that Donald Trump should be impeached because he had a phone call with this president, because they see it in the context of this larger effort 
by everyone in the position, whether it's the media, the corporate media, um, Democrats, or never Trump Republicans, or whoever the group might be, they've been working very hard to remove him all along. It's kind of hard to take him seriously that this is a legitimate inquiry going on. I think that's an excellent point, and I do believe that that is part of the American people are just frustrated there and they're tired of this is the perpetual the sky is falling in kind of scenario and at some point people just get tired of, of watching the perpetual attacks and they they're beginning to see it for what it is one of those things that that really struck me and you were really one of the first journalists to highlight the hypocrisy of Adam Schiff as it relates specifically to the about face as it concerns the whistleblower to testify before Congress. I mean, at one point, the whistleblower was the most important person in the world to Adam Schiff, and now uh, it's it's like the the whistleblower is not even mentioned. And you were up it's, front with that. Tell tell us what's going on with it. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, first off, it's fascinating that Adam Schiff is the person who's leading this effort yes. because he is someone who lied for several years, falsely claiming he had evidence treasonous collusion with Russia to steal the 2016 election. That's a lot. That's not true. And there should probably be consequences for falsely claiming such things and doing it year after year. But yes, he's leading this. And so least he said he had this whistleblower that absolutely needed to be heard from. When people would come testify, he'd say, you're not going to get in the way of us interviewing this whistleblower, are you? You're going to make sure that this, that this whistleblower is free to say whatever they want to say about this. This is very important. He, he had press releases. I mean, it was just a drumbeat of, we need to hear from this whistleblower. And then news came out that Adam Schiff's staff and the whistleblower had coordinated. And it's not necessarily horrific that they've, well, it's not necessarily horrific that they've been in contact with each other. What's weird is that both sides lied about Adam right. Schiff also claimed he didn't know about the whistleblower before the whistleblower complaint was lodged. That was a lie. But also the whistleblower um, was supposed to declare which committee staff he had dealt with or which members of Congress he had dealt with, he or she, I don't know who this person is, but, um, and that you have to put that in the form, the, the actual form where you're saying that this is an urgent issue, and that part was left absolutely blank. So both sides lied about it. Well, that's something that people are going to want to ask questions about. As soon as it turned out that the, whistle, the whistleblower and shift had been coordinated and that they had lied about it, all of a sudden, Adam Schiff no longer needs to hear from the whistleblower. In fact, he says they really don't need to hear from him at all. And it was just on a sign after weeks of saying it had to happen, it had to happen soon. Now we don't need to hear from that person at all. And of course, we do need to hear from that person, and that person does need to be asked questions. But Adam Schiff, kind of running this whole clown show, says, nope, 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 we're not going to hear from that person at all. And it could not look worse for him, but... He has, a, he has a history of sort of not being particularly credible on all these things. Absolutely, and I know we are trying to to uh, keep the pressure on this and have, have in fact, uh, made a request for the whistleblower to come forward. And, of course, as you know, to this point in the inquiry, the only people who have been able to come testify are those who Adam Schiff believes will be damaging to the president. Uh, there have been no other witnesses allowed, and we are trying to push for the whistleblower, interesting to me that Adam Schiff is the only person, 435 members of Congress, Schiff is the only person he, who even knows who the whistleblower is. It's just, it's just stunning to me 
how this thing is is indeed a circus. It's a unbelievably unfair. That seems to be the, the overarching problem with this, too. You can either sit there and let Adam Schiff call people in that he believes will help his narrative, then selectively leak right. snippets of what happens in that testimony to allow him to work with the media to set a narrative that, as past has shown, is almost always false, and then sort of impotently respond. Or, I think, are we, are we going to do this? Are we going to play along with this? Are we going to let this continue? Or are we going to do something that defends, frankly, the 2016 election? Yes, this is frustrating to see what's happening to Trump. Or yes, you know, you could say, oh, this seems unfair. But what's really unfair is that the American people had a free and fair election. There were the winners chosen that was different than the one that many powerful people wanted. And they have been throwing a temper tantrum ever since. Failure to acknowledge free and fair election results is actually quite dangerous. And at some point, I think that people, you know, people have been pretty polite in the past. They, they analyze everything and say, no, I don't think there's Russia collusion. No, I don't think Donald Trump is a Russian. No, I don't think the 25th Amendment. You know, they've been very calm about it. At some point, attacks on elections can be dangerous. And I hope that the people that are pushing these you know, conspiracy theories and efforts to undo the 2016 election, realize that they're playing with fire a bit, and um, and it's not something to be, not something that is reasonable for people to just accept or take sitting down. People are starting to get extremely upset, and it's, I mean, it's difficult to talk about because the media, or many people in the media, are part of this operation, but it is not good for constitutional governance or for our balance of power or for any of that to see these types of things continue to go on. Well, I couldn't agree more. And not only is it dangerous to potentially overturn or attempt to overturn an election, but even a broader issue that is equally dangerous is this whole presumption of guilt uh, opposed to the presumption of innocence. And that is happening, no question, to the president, but it's even been going on before the president. In fact, you've just uh, written uh, your book, Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Supreme Court, and, and you're dealing with with this whole, uh, this whole aspect that could have the potential of turning upside down our American judicial system, putting it on its head, this whole presumption of guilt before innocence. Uh, give, give me your thoughts on that. Well, that's a big reason why we wrote the book. I wrote it with Terry Severino, who's wonderful. And we thought this would happen to Justice Kavanaugh with a very interesting story, but we knew that this whole attack on justice itself was worthy of discussing and whatnot, too. It's not just that they, that they went after a particular man, but that so many people who should know better just decided that presumption of innocence doesn't matter, rule of law doesn't matter, that raw power was all that mattered. And we looked at the history of Supreme Court confirmation battles to kind of explain why some of this happened. Not that Justice Kavanaugh was the first person for whom this happened, or to whom this happened. Uh, we looked at the Bork, the Robert Bork confirmation disaster, Clarence Thomas's treatment when he was going through confirmation, as well as just telling the story of what happened to Kavanaugh. And being able to kind of just get specific and tell stories about what happened over the course of last year, I think helps clarify what the country is dealing with and why it's so important and um, and why people need to 
be on guard against it. I mean, this is, we have a beautiful system of government. It is also something that's somewhat fragile and requires people to fight for it. And there are certain ideas, such as presumption of benefits, that predate our founding that are important to hold as cultural values, societal values, as well as part of our legal system. And it seems in some sectors of our country, people are not just losing that, they're rejecting those ideas, as so long as the target of those ideas is someone that they politically disagree with. Right, the old ends justifies the means kind of thing. But the, the, the part, Molly, that really scares me with this is where does it all go? I mean, if we are going to go down this, this path of presumption of guilt out of the gate, I mean, at the end of the day, people across this country have to genuinely ask themselves that if this can happen to Kavanaugh, if this can happen to the president of the the United States, it can happen to me. I mean, it can happen to any that's, of us. And and that is a frightening so prospect. Yeah, that's what bothers that's so many people when they watch the Kavanaugh confirmation. And in particular, because I think people saw that with Justice Kavanaugh, they were dealing with someone who actually had lived his life in such a way that he would not, he would not expect something like this to happen. There are people who, when you hear things about them, you, you kind of believe them or you find them believable. If it could happen to someone like Justice Kavanaugh, it definitely can happen to anyone, and I think that was very frustrating. But it's not just that. I think it's not just that these things are being lost. It's that you have two completely different systems of justice where if you are in one group of people, you can get away with you know, anything. You can get away with serious crimes or uh, you know, minor crimes as well. And if you're part of a different group of people, then you will be rung up and, and hounded. And I think the Hillary Clinton, the handling of Hillary Clinton's mishandling of classified information versus the spying on the Trump campaign is a great example of these two systems of justice. So uh, you can understand that the Department of Justice may have not wanted to bring charges against someone who was running for president um, when Hillary Clinton was found to have mishandled classified information. They had her and other people on false statement charges, maybe six-lined to prosecute those. That kind of discretion was not given to anyone in the Trump campaign. Or if you got even like a minor state wrong, you would be thrown in jail. And so it's not just that you're seeing things that are unfair. It's that the same, it's, it's even, you know, the, the standard is not the same depending on your political position. And people recognize that and they see that. And that is what is dangerous. I think people can tolerate letting politicians get away with handling the situation, even if it's really, I mean, I think they could conceivably tolerate See that, see that happen. And then to see them going around and putting wiretaps on the Trump campaign, running human informants against the Trump campaign, using overseas intelligence assets against the Trump campaign, uh, writing national security letters where they can get information about people in the Trump campaign, and then bringing up everyone even, you know, remotely associated with the Trump campaign on ridiculous charges, making them pay legal fees for everything, and, and really trying to destroy lives and, and bank accounts and whatnot. That is what makes it so dangerous. People don't have trust or confidence in their system, and I think that's why it's good that we found out last night that, um, or we found out recently that uh, William Barr's investigation into some of these things that the Justice Department did against the Republican Party campaign has turned into a criminal, criminal investigation. Criminal probe. That's it's, huge. 
it gives one hope that maybe people will be held accountable for some of what they did. And it's not because it's good for the Republican Party or bad for the Democratic Party. It's because we need to have confidence in our FBI and Department of Justice that they will not do this type of, um, they will not have these types of disparities where they are letting one political party get away with anything and spying, literally spying on another political party. So hopefully something well, absolutely. I mean, I hear it all the time. People want to know, when is someone going to jail for all this? I think you're, the average American citizen understands that there has been criminal uh, criminal activity in all this. I mean, if, if you or I or any of us had so many emails that uh, were classified and we were using in a personal way, we would suffer the consequences. But here, 30000 for Hillary, and then she destroys them, and it's like, uh, just walk. And uh, that is so frustrating to people out there. Now, let me ask, as far as your, uh, what you're seeing and hearing from the American people in terms of connecting the dots of what you're talking about here, uh, do you think this impeachment inquiry uh, right alongside of the Kavanaugh confirmation, uh, do you think that the, all these things combined kind of negatively impacts the average Americans' essential trust in our institutions, our rule of law, uh, our, our institutions of government. Do you think people are connecting the dots? I think that you're seeing a real polarization, unfortunately. There was a study that came out recently showing that if you ask people how divided we are as a country on a scale of 0 to 100, with 100 being civil war, the mean response was like 65%, something kind of shockingly high. And I think that is reflected in people's responses to stuff like the impeachment probe. A lot of people in this country would like to see Donald Trump impeached. They are livid that he won the election. And I've, I've always thought that he would be impeached at some point, I jokingly say, for the crime of winning the 2016 election. And I think that could, that could very well happen. And that would lead the resistance. And, and uh, this is a very emotional and uh, group of people. And they, they really are struggling to accept what happens. And then you have this other group of Muslim Americans who recognize that what that, that response itself is unhealthy and um, that sometimes you win elections and sometimes you lose elections, but, but running a resistance against them is a resistance against the American people and that um, they kind of recognize this impeachment thing as part of that. I think ultimately there has been frustration that Congress has kind of evolved as they have, as they have voluntarily released all their power to the administrative state and the bureaucracy. They've been frustrated with the lack of actual legislating that's been going on. To see them sort of um, turn into it even more and say, we're not going to pass any legislation about things that matter to you. We are going to sit here and, and run this um, star chamber inquiry is frustrating for people who already thought that Congress up and, and um, so I think it's a very divided response. Well, Molly Hemingway, I want to thank you for the incredible work that you have done and that you continue to do. I don't know that there are very many people who are more uh, on the front line, on the tip of the spear, so many huge issues in our country, and I'm grateful for your work and uh, d deeply appreciative of you coming on the podcast with us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, folks, listen, that's all the time we have for this episode. I want to thank you so much for joining us. And as always, if you enjoyed the program, please take time to rate and subscribe and review this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And always, for more Freedom Caucus content, you can follow us on Facebook.com slash Freedom Caucus and on Twitter 
at Freedom Caucus. Until next time, hope you have a fantastic remainder of your day. We'll see you next time.